Welcome to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. Okay, I want to start with this. I've got a new Substack up on the AmericanClassroom.substack.com. It is titled A Recipe for Disaster or Liberation The Coming School Year and the Problems Ahead, but Only If You Attend. There are a number of different subchapters or sub subjects within this particular Substack that I sort of break down. State legislation has to do with some of it right at the very beginning. I get into a few uh, future Supreme Court rulings that are set to actually transpire here this week, if memory serves. I get into a little bit of school violence information as well, some of the professional development that's currently existing with ChatGPT and how ridiculous all of that is. And then, of course, how the educator recruiting well is drying up. And it's one of the major reasons why numerous K-12 schools are creating these backdoor ways for individuals, basically, to become school teachers if they want to be and, and gain certification as opposed to attending a college or university teacher education program. Either way, as you might expect, the solution is to homeschool. Again, the battlefield that is the American K-12 environment Again, whether it be public school, private school, or charter school, they're they're all fingers on the same hand. It is going to it's just going to become way, way worse in the future with, with every passing month. These individuals are losing money and they're still trying to maintain the very reasons that they are losing money, which is again the DEI programs and the, uh, the all of the critical theory nonsense and everything, and they are scratching and clawing and doing whatever they can to maintain those systems, while not paying attention to the fact that they are going insolvent if they aren't already. And then, of course, what does that mean? Well, that means that they're going to put more tax levies on the ballots, and uh, and they are reliant on that 100%. Because again, many school districts receive 70 plus percent of all of their income, so to speak, from taxpayers. And they want to make this harder on the everyday taxpayer and the everyday property owner. We can't let that happen. That can't be one of the things that uh, that transpires here. So Leaving these school districts is the easiest way forward. In fact, just very quickly, there's a video bouncing around, and I put it in one of the last war videos, and uh, I put it out on my Gab account as well. It's a woman, again, giving a nice tongue lashing to a school board about the perverse books and, uh, and, and their ideologies and what they believe and how they aren't interested in, in actual teaching and learning of facts and a number of other things. It's it's depressing in the sense that she opens up by saying that she's been doing this for five years, that she's been attending these school board meetings for five years, and she hasn't seen anything get better. She's only seen things get worse, and our children don't deserve this and blah, blah, blah. Again, pull your child out. Just pull your children out. In the amount of time that that mother has been spending her effort and, again, her time, Within those school board meetings, complaining and listening and trying to see if they'll change and do what she wants, she could have been spending that time focusing it on her children, pulling her children out of those environments, and frankly and bluntly, just living a completely different life that is absent of having the American K-12 school system as a part of their lives. 
This is difficult for many of them. Again, it's sort of this thrashing around inside of the matrix that is very hard to watch. Because again, with any school board speech or any city council speech, but specifically school board speeches, they're yelling at the enemy to change their ways. They won't because they don't have to. It's not this it's not the enemy that's going to change their ways. It's the individual who sends their children to the enemy. They're the ones who have to change their ways. They have to change their minds and take the power back. And they have no idea again the amount of power that they actually wield as parents, as individual parents. They could make an entire school board and an entire school district immediately insolvent. And I mean immediately, overnight, if they just didn't participate, if they all walked away. First day of school rolls around, none of them show up. First day of school rolls around, and the only thing that happens on the first day of school is the phone is ringing off the hook. Inside of the district office and inside of the school building's main office, saying that all of these children are going to not be attending the school anymore and are unenrolling. So it's just parents calling the district saying, my child is named so-and-so, they are no longer attending your building, we are homeschooling, goodbye. If that happened on the first day of school, you would have mass panic. And I've, I've been through that scenario before, but I want to run through it just very quickly, because again, it's, uh, it would be a dream come true if something like that were to happen. And again, we saw glimpses of it last August and last September in Los Angeles, California. You had a massive percentage of the student population that was not showing up to school. They just weren't going. Many of them were homeschooling. Many of them just didn't want to go. They didn't know what else to do. They weren't interested. Uh, I don't know if they still had mask mandates then or not, but that's when you had the superintendent going door to door, basically begging parents to send their children back to their school district. It was, uh, I mean, it was absolutely astounding. But in smaller school districts, in smaller towns and cities across the United States, what would happen is, is they would end up having to close the building immediately because no students were showing up. Now, yes, let's assume that a few students would show up just for the sake of argument. So if you have a building that has, we'll say a high school building that has less than a thousand students, just under a thousand, if they have just under a thousand students, and let's say, oh, I don't know, 200 students showed up and the rest didn't, they would still have to close the doors. They would have to send out an immediate message over phone, email, text message, all their social media platforms as a school district, that they have to close their building because the vast majority of students have not shown up or have unenrolled. That would, that would, that would create a level of panic that, frankly, the school board could not keep a secret. They couldn't keep that a secret specifically from state officials. So state officials would get a hold of this story and they would say, what in the hell are you all doing down there? Why have they all left? And they would say, well, we don't know, but they've just all decided to homeschool and they all decided to tell us on the exact same day and, and we don't know what's going on. State officials would come down to that school and they would take over. I mean, it would almost be some sort of an executive action. They would, they would be forced to take over and examine 
what is going on within that school district that would cause such a response like that? The interesting part, of course, is that if the parents never sent their children back, they couldn't open up as a school building anymore because you can't exist with 200 high school students. Not to mention then, they would be allocated, they would have already received all of their money for the school year. Their entire budget would have already been there. So they would have to do something with that money. But they would probably put it toward trying to recruit more people to come back. But if they never came back, they would be stuck. So by the time the school year rolled around again, after the winter and into the spring, they would be finished. They would completely collapse. Their doors would close permanently. And it would close on even the 200 some odd students that were still going. They would be forced to tell them, we can't keep the doors open. We can't employ people. We don't have enough, we don't have enough attendees here anymore. That needs to happen. These are the kinds of moves, again, that have got to take place across America. Again, Donald Trump gave a speech the other day, I fully understand, and he's saying we got to get rid of the funding for anybody who uh, you know implements the uh, critical theory nonsense and the DEI nonsense and, and all of the sexual perversions and this, that, and the other. And we have to give parents uh, you know, more, more freedom when it comes to school choice and, and finding a different private school or a charter school for them that's away from a public school and blah, blah, blah. He never mentions homeschooling, though, which means that's the answer. What's the one thing a politician or the person in charge isn't mentioning? Your answer lies right there. That's it. And as I lay out in the Substack article, and it's, I, I think I make it pretty crystal clear, of course, I've beat the dead horse here on this show on a constant basis, but that's the point of the show, is that the evidence is overwhelming that it can't be fixed, that this entire school apparatus cannot be fixed. It's too broken. There's too much corruption. There's too much lying. There's too much illegality. And uh, there's just no other way. There's just no other way. You, you cannot fix this. Even if you took a bulldozer to district offices or, you know, you'll, I'll read some comments, for example, that are attached to uh, some of the gab posts that I make. But they'll say things like, you know, run for school board, take back your school board, and then you can take back the building and blah, blah, blah. No, you can't. You can't. Yes, if you take back the school board, there are certain moves that you can make that would lean more in a positive direction. But you still have state policies that you have to follow, certainly law you have to follow. And frankly, the attention that you would receive from all of the whack jobs who are the parents and the citizens of the local area who still send their ch children to these environments and are attempting to continue to prop it up with all of the perverse programs that they have and useless programs that they have, including the sports teams and everything else, these individuals would come after those school board members with everything they had. They would lie, cheat, steal, file ethics violations against those school board members. It, I mean, it would make their lives a living hell. They would be receiving calls from the ethics committee saying, well, we got some complaints about this. and Is, is there any truthfulness to this or is there not? And blah, blah, blah. It, it, would, be, it would be a nightmare. And again, as school board members, they would be doing the right thing. They would be doing the right things. but. If they're in the minority, you know, that can't necessarily stop an ethics violation or that can't stop individuals from fabricating a violation when there actually isn't one. 
So, you know, w- within the entire business, you're guilty until proven innocent, in particular in the public eye. It's just a hassle that, that, that no one needs. It's a hassle that no one wants. So again, you know, I, I applaud individuals who run for school board and, and they try to take over these positions and try to fix things from the inside, but it's, it's short-lived by and large. It's short-lived. The one thing that would be permanently lived and permanently fixed within the entire environment is a sheer lack of participation, just walking away. And again, that's the basis for the article. And I lay out a number of different things that highlight why that's the case and why, again, this entire system is not going to get better continuing to act as if it can be fixed, either from the inside or the outside. It won't matter. It just won't matter. The smartest students are the ones who are homeschooling. These are the most free. These are the most healthy-minded, healthy-bodied individuals that exist, period. So again, parents can keep going to school board meetings and screaming at the top of their lungs about how the enemy isn't changing, but that's not going to fix anything. Again, they're interesting videos to watch, I guess, but they're just, it's not the answer. It isn't the answer. And it really is a thrashing around inside of the matrix that's difficult to watch because these, these parents and these children have no idea how easy their lives would be by simply walking away. So. Bounce over to theamericanclassroom.substack.com if you're interested in checking out that article. And again, you know, it's, it's one of the more lengthy articles that I've put together. Um, if you're interested in having the, the robot voice read it to you, then you can download the Substack app. And then you hit the little icon. You click on the article and then you hit the icon that has the picture in the upper right hand corner of the headphones. And then it'll ask if you want it to play and it'll play. and a female robot will read it to you. So there you go. Okay. I wanted to mention this. A couple of geopolitical things, too. This was hilarious. And this right here, ladies and gentlemen, is a subject I've, I've covered at length, in particular when it comes to these individuals that I refer to, of course, as conservative ink, and all of the individuals who don't say the things they could say and aren't learning the truth, and then, of course, are peddling the propaganda that they're peddling, claiming that they are on the right side of things. And they couldn't be more wrong. So with that said, on June 22nd, Matt Walsh of the Daily Wire, of course, and the What is a Woman documentary, as if we needed to learn about any of that. Uh, let's see. He went on a Twitter tirade a little bit. and filled it with falsehoods. And again, he refuses to name the individuals who were actually behind a lot of these sexual perversions and the individuals who have pushed it this entire time, frankly, for a very long time. So yeah, let me read his little Twitter thread here and then uh, some of the comments below because again, he did a nice job of putting his own foot in his mouth. And now he's the subject of numerous memes because, again, he has no grasp of real history and won't call out the real enemy. So, again, June 22nd, he typed out, uh, quote, The trans agenda was invented by pedophilic psychologists, degenerate quacks, lunatic sexologists, literal Nazi scientists, and other assorted deviants. A collection of the most despicable monsters imaginable came up with all of this stuff. Here are five names you should know. 
Now, of course, what he fails to mention is that no, it wasn't literal Nazi scientists. That's a derogatory term. Uh, they, they weren't the ones who created this. This was created by individuals who happened to be satanic Jews. That's who created this. These individuals, the Kinseys, the Monies, the uh, Hirschfelds, which he, he mentions here in a second, these individuals are Jewish. They are not, they were not national socialists. These were not individuals who, again, were interested in preserving the people of a country in a healthy country. These were the individuals, again, historically speaking, that Adolf Hitler was seeking to get out of his country for the preservation, again, of the children and the family and the family dynamic and the healthy people within their country. We, of course, are suffering from the exact same problem now. These are not Nazis. Again, that's a derogatory term. There's actually no such thing as a Nazi. These were not, again, uh, national socialists. That's not what this is. And as you would expect, Matt Walsh was destroyed on Twitter for not calling these people the satanic Jews that they actually are. So his next post says the following. John Money pioneered the concept of gender identity. He tried out his theory on twin boys who he abused and experimented on throughout their childhood. They both went on to kill themselves. That's true. Alfred Kinsey, Alfred Kinsey rather, is the godfather of modern comprehensive sex education programs. He came up with many of the theories of sexuality that are now taught as fact in our schools. He also enlisted a pedophile who raped children so that he could document the victim's orgasms. This is factually accurate. What he fails to say is that these people are Jewish. Volkmar Sagush, uh, if I'm saying that right, probably not, was a sexologist who coined the term cissexual. He argued in favor of exposing children to pornography and insisted that pedophilia should not be stigmatized. This latter point was a common belief among many pioneers of the trans movement. Again, these individuals who push this are the money controllers, the influencers, and they happen to be Jewish. His last tweet here, Magnus Hirschfeld, another German sexologist, he says. He opened one of the world's first transgender clinics. He was an avid proponent of eugenics and believed in forcibly sterilizing those who were feeble-minded. The Nazis would later implement eugenics on a massive scale. This was the tweet, the one that I just read. This is the one that got him destroyed. This is the one that's been shared the most, passed around the most, and it's the most inaccurate. First of all, Magnus Hirschfeld was Jewish. Number two, he was around before Adolf Hitler came in and cleaned things up. And it was Adolf Hitler's government and his law enforcement that got rid of his hospital and burned it to the ground, along with the books that were inside, because they were doing this to children. And then he makes a leap. He calls him German, of course. He was Jewish, but whatever. He lived in Germany. But then he says the Nazis would later implement eugenics on a massive scale. That is not true. None of that is true. 
It's communists and Marxists and Bolsheviks who happen to be Jewish who are the ones who implement eugenics programs. The Fauci's of the world, the Bill Gates's of the world, the list is endless. The Klaus Schwab's of the world, the Noel Harari's of the world, these little trolls. This is exactly, this is who they are. This is, this is what this is. But a guy named Keith Woods, at Keith Woods YT on Twitter, responded, and he said the following. And by the way, again, I don't like the term Nazi because it's a derogatory term that was created by Conrad Haydn, who again was a Marxist Jew. But the point is, is that even these individuals, when they are attacking Matt Walsh, are still using the term Nazi. I wish people would just stop saying Nazi. It's, it's, not, it's not an accurate term. It means ignats. That's not, uh, you know, that's not, that's not good. Anyway, he said the following. He said, this is incredibly misleading. Hirschfeld was Jewish, and the Nazis burned down his sex research institute. He then links a particular uh, section here, and it says the following. On May 6, 1933, Nazi demonstrators raided the, li- the libraries of the Institute for Sex I'm sorry, Sexual Weissenkraft, a German name that roughly translates to the Institute of Sexology. The Institute was privately operated research space for studies of human sexuality. More than 20,000 books were taken from the shelves and burned days later in the streets by Nazi youth groups. But book burning's terrible. Book burning's awful, is it? Is it? This is what happens again when... You attend American K-12 schools or you attend, uh, you know, history classes at the college level and they don't teach you the facts. He continued and it says, It was a devastating blow to the life's work of Magnus Hirschfeld, the Institute's founder. Hirschfeld, who was, a, who was Jewish and gay, was a pioneer for rights and liberation in Berlin's thriving LGBTQ community. He founded the Institute in 1919 after beginning his career as an activist in 1896 with his pamphlet, I'm not going to get that right, but Sappho and Socrates, I guess, about a gay man who took his own life after he felt he was being coerced into a straight marriage. Now, as we know, Twitter still censors things and censors endless things and will get a person kicked off even to this day. But there's far more discussion taking place on Twitter now than what has been taking place over the last, I guess, four to five plus years. Either way, it's an interesting little back and forth that's taking place in the comments section and certainly in the replies. And uh, yeah, Matt Walsh is just getting destroyed. So there you go. But he's a propagandist. Matt Walsh is a propagandist. If you're going to tell the truth about something, you have to tell the whole truth not just a piece of it that fits your narrative because it's comfortable for you. But then again, who runs the Daily Wire? What is the ultimate purpose of the Daily Wire? It's not to tell the truth. I mean, Ben Shapiro is blackmailed. You know, this fast-talking, this fast-talking guy who comes out of nowhere, who can ring statistics off at the top of his head and speak real quickly, make fun of liberals at the exact same time and sound very convincing, in particular to younger individuals and certainly older individuals. I mean, these individuals, again, themselves are gatekeepers, and all of the people who work for the Daily Wire are the exact same. And the people who have worked with them and the people who do communicate with them, these individuals are not interested in telling the full truth. 
In fact, I'm not sure that there is a, there's certainly not a platform of that scale that is going to be able to tell the truth because a platform of that scale is going to be shut down in some way. But there are pockets of truth on, on particular shows that you can bounce around and find. But again, sometimes all you have to do is just jump into the comments section of, of a tweet storm like this, and, uh, and you'll see what people are, are really saying. And it's fantastic. So yeah, Matt Walsh is a propagandist. That's the thing that people have to continue to understand. And I find it a bit strange that he himself, who's probably of Jewish descent, continues to focus all about the sexuality aspect of everything. I mean, he's obsessed with it. It's a bit strange. I've said this before. He's made his entire career based on this, making fun of people who, again, are transgender and rightfully so because they should be mocked because they're mentally ill, which leads to a story I have a little bit later. But at the exact same time, he's made his entire career just about this. It's a bit, it's a bit odd and kind of gross, frankly. But if he goes back far enough, he'll realize again that this is a, a, a Bolshevik, Marxist, Jewish, satanic ideology. That that's what this is. They're, they're all fingers on the exact same hand, and uh, a lot of those perversions are in the Talmud. Those perversions do not exist in the Bible. It's quite the opposite. So they exist in the Talmud, and who wrote that? So there you go. A couple more things here, geopolitically speaking. I wanted to read this very quickly. This is from the AP, so take it with a grain of salt, I guess, but... Uh, it is titled, Supreme Court Upholds rather Federal Law Used to Prosecute People Who Encourage Illegal Immigration. And this was just on Friday. So get a load of this. It says, the Supreme Court on Friday upheld a section of federal law used to prosecute people who encourage illegal immigration, ruling against a California man who offered adult adoptions he falsely claimed would lead to U.S. citizenship. The court, by a 7-2 to vote, rejected arguments that the law is too broad and violates the Constitution. It says that Sotomayor and Jackson were the only ones to dissent. Shocking, I know, because they're crazy people. Um, and it says this, it says the court, I'm sorry, the case in front of the court involved a Hellman Hansen who lived in Elk Grove, California, near Sacramento. The federal government says that from 2012 to 2016, Hansen deceived hundreds of non-citizens into believing that he could guarantee them a path to citizenship through adult adoption. Based on Hansen's promises, officials say, People either came to or stayed in the United States in violation of the law, even though Hansen knew that the adult adoptions he was arranging would not lead to citizenship. The government says that at least 471 people paid him between $550 and $10,000 each, and that in total he collected more than $1.8 million. Hansen was ultimately convicted of encouragement charges as well as fraud charges. He was sentenced to 10 years in prison on the encouragement charges and 20 years on the fraud charges, but a federal appeals court ruled that the law on encouragement is overbroad and violates the free speech clause of the First Amendment and overturned just those convictions. In her opinion, Barrett wrote that, quote, Hansen asks us to throw out too much of the good based on a speculative shot at the bad. She said, quote, this is not the stuff of overbreadth, 
The case is United States versus Hellman Hansen 22-179. Well, good. Let him rot in prison. Let this person rot in prison. And uh, can we start going after the politicians, by the way, who have been funding all of this this entire time too? Shouldn't they be in prison also? It kind of seems like it. I wanted to make mention of this too. Uh, this is not a new documentary. It's a very well done and certainly a very convincing and fact, fact-based fact documentary. It's about 27, 28 minutes long, and it's from Blackpilled, and uh, I will link this in the description below also from Odyssey, and of course you can find this on BitChute and I'm sure Rumble everywhere else, but it's a little documentary that they put together called Defiant, and it really does have everything to do with, again, immigration and race replacement and the dual justice system that we have in our country, in particular, again, um, the attack on whites in America, making excuses for other races, and again, the dual justice system that that certainly takes place. This was uploaded on Odyssey on uh, September 5th, rather, of 2021. So it's a couple years old, but it's still relevant and, and very, very good. In fact, there's a quick little audio snippet of this uh, of this very short documentary again 27 minutes and 42 seconds long of um attorney general Merrick Garland and he's specifically saying again that the largest problem and the most violent problem that we have in our country is white supremacy it's absolutely ridiculous it, it could not be further from the truth and you cannot have a more glaring example of how that's not accurate at all based on crime statistics that exist across the United States and then how all of the politicians within these states that are allowing all of these crimes to take place continue to make excuses for the individuals who are committing these crimes by either not charging them with the crime that they have committed or allowing them to get out of jail with very light sentences. Look at the entire state of California. Theft in stores is legal. You're allowed to steal. And people will be stealing in broad daylight and vandalizing these stores in broad daylight, and no one stops them. The employees have been told to not stop them. Now, if you think this is singular to just California, it is not. Where I live in southwest Ohio, This is a company-based, by the way, a company-based decision. Walmart, CVS, Walgreens, and these other stores are told if someone is vandalizing or stealing from inside of the establishment, as an employee, you are not allowed to stop them. You can't stop them. Now, what does that also say about the employees? We can take a guess that the employees are not carrying a gun. And that's probably a corporate decision also, that they're not allowed to defend themselves if you are an employee of these establishments, which, again, puts who in harm's way? It puts the employees in harm's way. So, again, it raises numerous debates here, and there's no way that you you don't watch Defiant with your family and, and then not have numerous debates and certainly vigilant debates about particular situations, or not even debates, just conversations about what's going on. It raises another question, too, is, is would you be willing to work for a company that doesn't allow you to carry a gun? 
Do you think Amazon allows their drivers to carry guns? How about UPS? How about FedEx? Why would you, not to mention again, why would you want to work for those companies when you're driving around an automobile that's filled with packages that could easily be robbed by someone who is armed and you are not? You're defenseless. Would you want to work in a defenseless position as an employee? Again, regarding the local Walmart here, I call it the OK Corral, just jokingly, because again, there's either a stabbing that takes place in the parking lot, but it's just rampant theft on a constant basis. You can hear the cop cars in town just flying in in that general direction. And again, if it's theft, all they can do is, is they can say, well, I have the footage of the person. We need to call 911, and then the cops go out there, and by the time the cops show up, which is usually about 15 minutes later, um, they're gone. They're gone by then. It's lawlessness is, is the whole point. We live in a lawless nation, and until these CEOs and these board members of these massive companies pull their collective heads out of their backsides, they're putting all of their employees in danger, every single one of them. But again, the criminals know that they can get away with these things, which is why they do them. They're, they're fully aware of what's transpiring here and what's taking place. And they're just using the system to their advantage. So they're foolish, but again, who's, who's more the fool, the criminal or the people who let them get away with it? And speaking of that, that leads me to this. This is education-related without a doubt. And I'm going to start here with a CNN article, believe it or not, uh, and then I'm going to dive into a couple other things, of course, that are all directly related because this is all basically the exact same story. Cicely and I were texting back and forth because she sent me this article, and I thought, this is, this is interesting, and this could go real sideways real quick. And I allude to it again and make mention of it in the Substack article, but I said I would, I would dive into this a little more specifically, and I'm going to. This is from CNN, and it is titled from this past Thursday. It's titled, Justices Consider Taking Up Case on Whether Americans with Disabilities Act Protections Cover Gender Dysphoria. Now, there's a lot of, uh, I would say, some Trump communications potentially regarding this. You may have heard, again, how Donald Trump refers to Asa Hutchinson as Ada. He says, I call him Ada, and for very good reason. It makes me wonder again, because we know that Trump throws out comms to, to, to all of us to look into particular matters. If he's saying Ada and using the nickname Ada to, of course, mean the Americans with Disabilities Act or the ADA. It's just a it's just a theory. I, I might not be the only person who has that one, but it's a theory. Either way, this is remarkably problematic for a variety of reasons. And just to kind of quickly summarize it, although I'm going to get more specific, this has direct implications too, of course, to the American K-12 system and places of employment that you either have to or you cannot get rid of, you have to employ or cannot get rid of individuals who have gender dysphoria. So all the trannies, all the people pretending to be the opposite sex, that you can't not hire these people. 
and that you can't get rid of them even if they are doing a variety of things because they will scream fell and that you are violating their Americans with Disabilities Act protections. I find this also comical in that if they were to do such a thing, they would basically be admitting that they have a mental disorder. <laughs> so I think that's great. Uh, but at the exact same time, this is one of the reasons why the American K-12 school system is going to get worse. The college system, of course, is already filled with these whack jobs, and we know that the American K-12 school system is too. But with a protection like this being put into place potentially this coming week by the Supreme Court, by putting again gender dysphoria in and under the protections of the ADA, this is going to get really screwed up real quick. And as I said in the uh, Substack article, if you think that K-12 students dressing up as cats and shitting in litter boxes in the opposite sex locker rooms or bathrooms that exist within their schools is commonplace, which it is, buckle up, because if it's school teachers that are in engaging in this exact same kind of mental disorder nonsense, then the entire environment is going to become more of a circus than it already is. So here's what the article says. It says, The Supreme Court met behind closed doors on Thursday, this past Thursday, to decide if it will take up a case concerning whether the Americans with Disabilities Act covers individuals with gender dysphoria. Gender dysphoria describes an uncomfortable conflict, psychological distress, between a person's assigned gender and the gender in which the person identifies according to the American Psych Psychiatric Association. It says the court has a few opportunities to consider how much federal civil rights laws protect transgender Americans. In 2020, it handed a surprise win to the community, as they call themselves, the commune, where all the crazy people go, when it said that Title VII of the Civil Rights Act protects gay, lesbian, and transgender workers. Of course, this specifically had to do with a, uh, a transgender woman, a Keisha Williams, who had been held for six months in a Fairfax County, Virginia jail, sued several individuals connected to the jail in federal court claiming that the way that she was treated at the facility was a violation of the ADA and other laws. And it goes on and on and on. That moves me, of course, then to this, which is the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights. Now, this is Chapter 5 of the Psychiatric Disabilities and the ADA. Under Title I here, I'm just going to read the first, uh, first paragraph. It says the following. It says, Title I of the Americans with Disabilities Act prohibits a private employer with 15 or more employees from discriminating against a qualified individual with a disability because of the disability of such individual in regard to job application procedures, the hiring, advancement, or discharge of employees, employee compensation, job training, and other terms, conditions, and privileges of employment. It then goes on to say that the ADA's Title I principles prohibiting discrimination in the workplace were formulated for both physical and psych psychiatric disabilities. After the ADA passed, however, 
the statute has the statute as applied to physical disabilities received the most attention. In fact, the physical disabilities have made much progress in the workplace since the passage. Experts say that that discrimination has decreased and that employees generally are willing to provide the special accommodations needed by employees with physical impairments. Now, I'm going to stop it there. If you inject what's gone on with the individuals who have disabilities within the workplace, and if you've worked with these individuals before, as I have within the American K-12 school system, you know that those individuals tend to milk the environment for all it's worth. They do whatever they can to make sure that they have everything working in their favor all of the time. In fact, these individuals take advantage of the entire system, and they are typically some of the loudest people within a working environment because they know that they can be, because if you scream foul against them, they will scream foul against you for discriminating against them because of their disability. Let me give you one brief example. Some of the loudest people that I worked with in the American K-12 school system were some of the most overweight, miserable humans on the face of the planet. These people would demand that they be given an elevator key to the buildings that we worked in because they didn't want to walk up and down the stairs. When in fact, walking up and down the stairs is the thing, of course, that would lead to their weight loss and them feeling better. But no, no, no. They have to have elevator keys, and they're the ones that get to use the elevators. I'm telling you, in the, uh, (laughs) what was it? In the five years of working in a school building that was three stories high that had an elevator, I used the elevator one time, once. And I did it completely as a joke because I walked into the elevator when somebody else was getting in, and they said, going up. And I looked at him and I said, I am going up. I said, and this is the first and only time I've ever been inside of this elevator. And they started laughing. And they said, really? I said, yes, I've never been in this elevator. And I just wanted to see what it was like. Just very sarcastically, I was laying it on real thick. But again, these individuals within these work environments do whatever they can to take full advantage. Now, again, Turn that into the tranny situation. All these trannies start showing up now with their multicolored hair and their resumes. If they don't get the job, what's their argument going to be? Well, I wasn't employed because I identify as a woman when I'm a man, or I identify as a man when I'm a woman, and that's why I wasn't, you know, that's why I wasn't, uh, I wasn't employed. They would have to have proof that that was the case. But even so, that wouldn't stop a lawsuit from taking place on their, on their behalf. They could still sue. And what that, what that lawsuit, again, not a lawyer, but this is logical because I've read of cases like this. What they will do is, is if the school teacher doesn't get the job and, and, and they are convinced that they haven't gotten the job because they're a tranny, in the lawsuit, the lawyers will demand the resumes of everybody else who applied for the job. And then they'll demand the resume of the individual who actually got the job. And then in a court of law, they'll go through those resumes and say, well, 
this individual is clearly more qualified than this person, the tranny is anyway, so they so they would say. So it's pretty evident that you didn't hire them, not because of their lack of qualifications, but because they identified as the opposite sex. This is going to throw American K-12 schools into an absolute tailspin. And it's not just going to be them. They're talking about every line of work across the United States, every place of employment. And ladies and gentlemen, have we not learned from the past and the actions of these people? If you give these people an inch, they will take miles and miles and miles. They'll never give up. These environments will turn into rainbow flag waving, pink, purple, and blue hair circuses. All of them. All of them. It's going to get real, real interesting if this actually transpires and they include gender dysphoria into the Americans with Disabilities Act. It's going to get real screwy real quick. And I need to add this too. It's not just going to apply potentially to the individuals who are employees of a particular environment. This has, again, very direct implications for American K-12 schools and even higher education when it comes to sports participation. Because then what? Because if you don't let a boy or a man, a biological man, compete against women because the man identifies as a woman, then you're discriminating against them based on the ADA. This is gonna this is gonna get real bad. This is huge, actually. I'm shocked that this isn't being talked about more. This is, I mean, you are lighting a powder keg here, and everybody's just standing around watching it. This is going to explode in the future, I think, and make the entire environment way worse. Again, Donald Trump's response thus far has been that he will sign an executive order taking money away from the schools who implement this kind of thing and implement these kinds of ideologies and and these discriminations, which they are, having biological men compete against biological females. But it will be a legal battle, the likes of which, again, your average American family, certainly with children who participate in sports, can't possibly imagine, and at the exact same time, aren't going to want to participate in. This is going to this is going to get nuts. If again, if we thought that the one tranny male who who again thinks that well, whatever the hell you call them, tranny female, the person who is a biological male who thinks that they're a female, if you thought that one of those individuals being on a team can crush the dynamics of an entire team, which they have and they do. What if there's more of them, more than just the one standout? What if it's half the team? Then what? It's just going to look really weird, isn't it? It's going to look real strange. And if things don't go their way, they're going to scream bloody murder. And you're violating my rights. And I'm disabled. And I think that I'm a I'm a woman when I'm not, but I am because I say I, it's just going to get flipping nuts. It's going to get crazy. That brings me to this, too. This is from over a year ago. 
from fisherphillips.com. Federal appeals court rules that gender dysphoria is a disability for the first time. Four accommodation steps for employers. Uh, yeah, and they, again, they get into it a little bit. Do not treat gender dysphoria any differently than any other condition under the ADA. Ladies and gentlemen, there's a big difference between gender dysphoria and being overweight to the point where you have gout. I mean, there's a difference. There's a difference, again, between, uh, you know, being in a wheelchair and cutting your genitals off. They're not the same thing. I need a ramp outside so I can get inside of a building because I'm wheelchair bound. That makes sense. But us having to tolerate the fact that someone wants to cut their genitals off and mutilate themselves. You see the slippery slope here? <laughs> it's just, it's nuts. These people are crazy. They're crazy. Uh, coming to an American K-12 school near you, ladies and gentlemen, I'm telling you. Here's another explanation of it, too. This is from another law firm. Uh, let me see if this pops up. Here we go. It says, DSM-5 and its impact on the Americans with Disabilities Act. This is from 2014. It says, as most employers know, the Americans with Disabilities Act was significantly amended affected January 1st of 2009 to broaden the scope of what constitutes a disability, quote-unquote, under the Act. Historically, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission looks at the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, DSM, published by the American Psych Psychiatric Association, as a diagnostic tool for guidance on what types of mental impairments might qualify as disabilities under the ADA. The new version of the DSM-5 adds categories rather for mental illness and loosens criteria for previously identifying mental issues. I'm sorry, mental illnesses, rather. It says, which may well result in the expansion of the number of employers, employees who qualify as being disabled by a mental illness under the ADA. A psychiatric disorder described within DSM-5 may be a quote-unquote disability if not specifically exempted under the ADA and if, it's significant, if it significantly limits a major life activity. Uh, binge eating disorders, mild neurocognitive disorders, and social pragmatic communication disorders were added and included under the ADA based on DSM-5. Now, of course, the argument is, in summary, whether or not gender dysphoria, which is categorized in DSM-5, will, uh, will fit basically, under the ADA's definition of a categorized disability that deserves more rights than what they already apparently have. It's going to get ugly, ladies and gentlemen. It's going to get real, real ugly. Just wanted to bring that to your attention because apparently that's, uh, that's going to happen this week. And who knows, maybe the decision has already been reached as to whether or not they're going to take that up. Okay. Moving on to jab-related things, I have two specific stories, both of which I've brought up in the past and have some updates associated with them. First of all, Deion Sanders, former NFL football player and, of course, the head coach of the University of Colorado's football team. 
uh, or Colorado University, however which way you say it. He, of course, is at least double-jabbed. He's had toes amputated as a result of blood clots. He's had arteries removed from his left leg, along with blood clots in his left leg. And he just went under the knife again. And you can watch, again, updates on this on YouTube. And I have to tell you, there's a lot of behavioral observations that I have got to make here regarding his story and a story I'm going to bring up after his briefly here as well. And I'll play a little bit of audio from it too, because I just find this beyond fascinating. Certainly from a sociological observation standpoint, a, you know, a people watching and listening standpoint. Um, Deion Sanders is now not only having blood clots removed from the leg that he's already have them, had them removed from, including his foot, but he was told that the doctors also removed blood clots that were smaller and developing in his other leg. Now, we've heard of numerous stories of individuals losing their legs as a result of receiving the COVID jabs. This is not new. The disappointing part for me, and it has to be struck up to cognitive dissonance on the part of these participants and these individuals, the Deion Sanderses of the world and all of these individuals that have a lot of eyes on them and spotlights on them, it can't get more obvious that this is shot-related, and yet they fail to bring it up themselves at all. No one around them is bringing this up. Nobody. You're not hearing them say diddly squat about this being jab-related. So let me cut to the chase yet again, and then I'm going to make another observation regarding Deion Sanders and his very strange family. And I say strange again not to, well, yeah, I know it's disrespectful, but they, uh, well, I'll start, I'll start with this. I'll start with the behavior of their family. I've observed it a little bit, only because, again, I was only paying attention to this because I knew that Dion was jabbed. So that's why I'm observing it. I'm not looking at it for any other reason. I don't watch football. I don't care. Uh, other than that, though, they, they really are filled with hubris, these people. They are materialistic to the bone. They throw money around like nobody's business. They buy each other chains, gold chains, and whatever else. Uh, they're, you know, I don't want to say degenerate, but it's really just, I think it's pathetic. The, the approach that they're taking, um, they're not paying attention to anything that's that's factual. And they're running around again, throwing money around, buying cars. And, and they have a YouTube channel that's run by Dion's son. And, uh, and, and that's what's on this YouTube channel on a constant basis. When they're not showing football practice, what they're doing is they're showing the the Deion Sanders family and and all of his siblings or rather uh his his children throwing money around and buying each other stuff meanwhile the elephant in the room is the fact that their father is dying from the covid shots and again you would think certainly i don't i mean they're not thinking people necessarily but cuz if they were you'd think that they would put all of that uh, boastful behavior to the side, and they would simply say, this is shot-related, he took the shots, we don't recommend the shots, because look what it's doing to our father. That's a very simple sentence to say. 
it's a, it's a, it's very straightforward and it can't, you know, it, it can't be more impactful than that. They have a massive voice. They have a massive audience. People pay attention to them. Uh, they have a huge microphone, but they are absent when it comes to connecting the dots of what's going on. Now that leads me to, because again, well, yeah, Deion Sanders isn't going to make it. He's slowly dying. His body is filling up with clots. You can't keep removing clots from a human body because they are, again, these are not typical clots as we know. These are nanoparticle self-assembling metal fragments that are sticking to, to one another. And what they're doing, and Dion is a perfect case as to why this is happening, it's destroying the arteries within Dion Sanders's body. Now, how long do you think you can live without arteries in your body? I mean, if you said not at all, you'd be correct. You can't keep removing arteries from a human body and expect to survive. So if Dion doesn't die from a stroke or a heart attack or fall over, he's going to be wheelchair bound because he's going to have limbs amputated if he continues to survive. He'll, he'll just lose his body from the bottom up all the way up to his neck uh, a little at a time. This is, this is not, this goes beyond, you know, him uh, again, wearing giant gold crosses around his neck and saying, God is great. God is great. And I agree with him on that. The problem is, is I think it says something in the Bible about being humble and telling the truth and figuring out who your enemy is and then speaking out against your enemy. I think you're supposed to do that. He's just you know, this is just one of those health things that just happens. And people are chalking it up to his long career in the NFL and previous injuries. And maybe, uh, again, the fact that he's a black man and that uh, maybe heart disease runs in the family or, you know, health problems and blah, blah, blah. I mean, it, it, it couldn't get more obvious that this is solely jab related is my whole point. But no one's mentioning this. So again, it begs. It begs lots of questions. Has the entire family been told to not say anything about it? Has the university been told to not say anything about it? Are they all in it together? Have they all received the same memo that says, look, we know this is COVID shot related. Uh, it's beyond evident. The doctors have told us this, but we're not going to say this on film. We're not going to say it publicly. We're not going to discuss this. If that's the case, that's disgusting. That's disgusting. Because that's not helping anybody. That's only making things worse. Hiding the problem and brushing it under the rug isn't going to help anybody. Which leads me now to this story. Kirk Herbstreet. Kirk Herbstreet, again, former quarterback for the Ohio State Buckeyes, lives in Centerville, Ohio, uh, host of College Game Day on ESPN. He's a multimillionaire. He has plenty of money. He doesn't have to work anymore, but he took the jabs also in 2021. And one year later, to the day after taking the jabs and tweeting out that he took the jabs, he tweeted out that he has blood clots, that his doctor detected a blood clot, and that he wasn't going to be able to fly to Las Vegas for the NFL draft. You heard me mention that a long, long time ago. Well, now, as of last week, Kirk Herbstreet's son, who's 21 years old and a tight end for the Ohio State Buckeyes, has permanent heart damage. Now, they didn't say myocarditis. It was just, well, he's got a heart thing. 
they said. In fact, I'm just going to play the audio because, again, there's a connection between all of these people, and it's not football. It's simple company. It's the company they keep. So let me let me draw let me connect these dots here. It, it can't get more obvious. And again, it's what they're not saying that is the most pathetic thing in the world. Pat McAfee and his show and his sports show. Pat McAfee is jabbed. Most of the people I assume who work with Pat McAfee are jabbed. As you've heard me say, Pat McAfee had Aaron Rodgers on, who of course is not jabbed and famously not jabbed. And they were talking about the protocols and the this and the that on Pat McAfee's show. And Pat McAfee looks like a dumb sports guy in in a deer in headlights, uh, you know, with his jaw on the floor when Aaron Rodgers is talking about ivermectin and, you know, this, that, and the other and these other treatments. And you don't inject yourself with things when you don't know what's in them and so on and so forth. I mean, he just looked like a dummy. Pac-Man Jones, who is also a former Cincinnati Bengal, is also a guest host on the Pat McAfee show. Pac-Man Jones, or Adam Jones, as he's known, who once shot a person in a strip club, if memory serves, if not killed them or paralyzed them, whatever it was. Uh, Adam Jones flew to Colorado to hang out with Deion Sanders' sons while Deion was in the hospital. So. Kirk Herbstreet shows up last Thursday on Pat McAfee's show with Adam Jones also in the studio, talking about sports, of course, but then it, toward the beginning, Pat McAfee asked Kirk Herbstreet what's going on. I'll play that audio here in a second, and you'll hear him talk about his son. So Adam Jones is, a, is surrounded by people who are jabbed. and. They're getting sick and dying. Adam, uh, uh, Pat McAfee is too, but no one's saying anything. They're not saying anything. And Kirk Herbstreet isn't saying anything. In fact, at one point in this audio, Pat McAfee looks at Kirk Herbstreet and says, Now, I know there's going to be some people on the internet saying all kinds of things as to why this is the case, but you know we're not concerned with that. We just want him to get better. And then he starts clapping his hands, and we just want your son to get better. He's on, the, he's on the men, and he's on the right track, and blah, blah, blah. He's out of the hospital and back home with mom and dad and whatever else. And then Kirk Herbstreet starts talking about how his son can't do anything anymore and, and, and basically is only taking small walks down the street, and that's it. You've heard me say it. I've brought it up endless times. The peer-reviewed articles that are on my website prove this beyond a shadow of a doubt. Permanent heart damage is a death sentence. It's a death sentence. You cannot damage the heart the way that it has been damaged as a result of these COVID jabs and expect to live any longer than nine years. Now, they're not saying myocarditis, but that's what it is. Kirk Herbstreet's son has myocarditis. He'll be dead in five to nine years. I hate saying it, but it's the truth. And if these individuals said this, I bet sports wouldn't matter so much anymore. Because I'm not kidding you, ladies and gentlemen. They go from talking about Herbstreet's son 
on Pat McAfee's show to seamlessly talking about how the Cincinnati Reds are the best team in baseball and what big Reds fans they are. It's pathetic. It's absolutely pathetic. And then there's another aspect of this that I'm going to that I'm going to read through as the audio is playing where the chat the chat board on the right-hand side of the Pat McAfee show is running and then finally people start asking about the jabs as Herb Street is talking about his son. So, I'm going to play the audio right now. Give this a listen in 3 2 1. Let's dive into some stuff, Herbie. What's going on in your life right now other than dunking on baseball media people on the uh, on the internet and then the Reds going on an 11-game, I think, yeah. win streak or whatever yeah. immediately Ooh. afterwards? What's going on in your world? You doing college football prep, NFL prep? What is Where are you at right now as we had 77 days away from NFL kickoff? Let's go. Yeah, well, I mean, full, full disclosure, you, you know what's going on with Zach, my, my son. I, I, I've been in. I really don't wait till the summer to get prep. You know, I, I, I kind of prep. I take a few weeks off in January and start prepping, you know, year round really for, for sports. But, um, we, we had a setback with Zach, uh, with his health, you know, on, on this past Friday. So really the last five or six days has been kind of a whirlwind of, um, you know, he's been in the hospital and, and with his, so with some issues with his heart. And, uh, we, we've just been trying to kind of, keep up with that. We brought him home yesterday, uh, which is great, but it's not like, Oh, you know, normally you get out of the hospital and you know, you're, you're cured and everything's good. I mean, he's a, you know, he's doing, he's in good spirits. He's home with us. Um, and where his mom can take really good care of him. And, and, uh, this is just going to be a long process to kind of see how his heart responds to, to some of the medications that, that he's on. And, um, you know, this is like a three or four months kind of thing, uh, to kind of see how it recovers. But, um, uh, the key is being, you know, being patient and, and positive and, and, um, you know, getting a little, we just got back from a walk right before I came on with you guys. We took our dogs for a walk, but little walks like down the street and back. So, um, yeah, this came out of nowhere, man. Um, it, it's, 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 it's another example of, you know, you guys being athletes, you understand this, you know, you do a physical, it's one thing, but you do an echo, it's called an echocardiogram and it, it really examines the heart. It's more of an ultrasound on the heart, checks the pressures of your heart, it checks the size of the heart. And, um, really I talked to Ryan day about it the other day. I, I just think college, I don't know if they do that in the NFL, but I, I really would encourage anybody who, who's playing sports to, to just to go a little bit more than just doing your normal physical or even EKG wiring. That that's not really enough. I, the echo is what you really need to, to discover some things that potentially can, can be scary, you know? So we're very fortunate that he got the, the echo and, and found some stuff. He was originally diagnosed with, with pneumonia because they thought he had, uh, you know, some fluid in his lungs but that turned out not to be uh, the case at all. But he had very few symptoms. Like you, you would never know uh, that, that he was dealing with what he's dealing with. Um, so uh, we're at the beginning of this. We're going to be positive, and and uh, and uh, it's a long haul, and he's he's going to get better. I'm going to stop it here real quick. Uh, I, I'll play a little bit a little bit more. There isn't much more where they're talking about it, but this is when the comments started to come out on the right-hand side of the screen in the comments section regarding the jab. When he mentioned that he was home and that, you know, it's not, uh, 
that just because you're home from the hospital doesn't mean everything is fine. That's when uh, a Brandon Lauderdale posted the first jab-related comment, and they said, COVID vaccine strikes again. And again, there's a lot of thoughts and prayers and all that other stuff. And then below that, about two or three comments below that, someone says, people already bringing up vaccine. Jeez, man. Well, what else is it? I mean, what else is it? That's exactly what this is. You don't take a 21-year-old who is a healthy football player, who comes from healthy parents, jab them. Again, no family history. Jab them, and now all of a sudden this happens, and and expect people to actually believe that it's some hidden athlete-related family history thing. It isn't. And again, you heard Kirk Herbstreet right there. Just call it like a heart thing. He he's got a little. He's got a heart thing. No, he has myocarditis. If they're checking for the size of his heart and the strength of his heart, that's permanent heart damage. Um, here's here's another one. I was just taking screenshots of the comments section. Uh, another person said, "All athletes need to get their hearts checked." So scary. Well, they do, but. If they're jabbed. Another one right below that said 29 deaths a month around the world in sport, up from 29 a year. Which variable did we introduce? Unquote. Yeah, this person knows. That person who made that comment fully understands what's going on. Another comment, they said, uh, Pat said it. Is, is what another person ended up saying. Because again, in just a second, Pat mentions the internet and there's people on the internet that are going to say all kinds of stuff and blah, blah, blah. Uh, this person said, not fun stuff. I sympathize with this. I have two something, uh, two procedures done on my heart already and I'm only 28. Super ventricular tachycardia is what I have. I was born with it. So that person says, uh, and then they said, this other person below them said, we are not bringing up vaccines. Everyone shut up. Health is important. And then the person below them said, again, Pat already said it. So Pat knows this is jab-induced. He has to. He he knows too many people who are injured from the jabs. He even talked about the whole Damar Hamlin thing, and, and endless people already did. Then below that, where the person said Pat already said it, another the person right below them said those vaccines, and then the person below them said quote unquote vaccines, and then the other person said why say it, Pat? You know how everyone is going to take that. Well, I mean. What what else is it? This is the this is the problem I have with all of this. Um, let me let me mention this last comment too. Again, they said take care of yourself. Don't trust fat doctors. Be happy if you're a young athlete who's been who has been vaccine. Please get the echo done. Another person said. And then another person commented said, "Buddy found out he had a testicular cancer on a routine checkup. Only thirty. On a recent routine checkup, only 30 get checked. Some of the people in the comments section were based and were starting to say the truth about what's going on here. My problem lies with these individuals who are directly impacted by this, and they're not saying a word. So again, it is either 
cognitive dissonance at a, at a level that you can't possibly imagine. Or they've all received a memo that says, this is probably jab-related, we're seeing a lot of this, don't bring up the jabs. Don't bring up the thing that caused this problem. Now let me ask this to all of the parents out there. Again, listening to this show, I know you're out there, I know there's a lot of parents that listen to this. If your child was injured, and we have sort of hindsight in this entire thing, because again, you're listening to this show and you're awakened, you know, you, you may not care about your place of employment and lying for your employer or keeping your mouth closed for your employer. But if you were told this is jab-induced and you knew that this was jab-induced even if you weren't told and this was your child, wouldn't you be screaming from the top of, of your lungs to anybody and everybody who was asking about the well-being of your child that your child received this heart condition as a result of the jabs? Wouldn't you be saying that? Wouldn't you be trying to raise the awareness, not profit from it necessarily, but just raise the awareness about the fact that the jabs are doing this to almost everyone? And it's not just heart-related things, as we know with certain people. With other people, it's turbo cancers. With other people, it's cognitive decline. With other people, it's this. With other people, it's that. It's 930, uh, I'm sorry, 393 pages of alphabetical in-order adverse reactions, including immediate death. Would you not scream that at the top of your lungs? I understand that grief can, uh, can quiet people in, in moments like this, and I'm certainly not making fun of Kirk Herbstreet or even Deion Sanders or any of the jab. That's not what I'm doing. I'm just bringing up when is enough enough for these people. Does someone have to write it on a sign and, and staple it to their forehead in order for them to understand what's going on? I, 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 it, it, it just blows me away. It blows me away. But it's either, again, cognitive dissonance or they've been told to not speak up. Let me get back to the audio here real quick, and then uh, I'll round this out. And then I have three very quick peer-reviewed articles, again, that highlight this very point. So. Back to the Pat McAfee show. That's what I've been up. That's what I've been up to. Hey, he's a herb street. He works hard. Hey, this ain't nothing. We're gonna we're gonna be okay. You know what I mean? Zach's yeah. gonna be good. Yeah. Zach, member yep. of the Ohio State football team. Yep. So I, I do believe, you know, Ryan Day probably has it. There's a lot of people that have showcased yeah. because they've met the Herb Street family who are obviously sending positive vibes. I hope you guys feel them from all of us as well. And whenever you bring up that echo chamber test thing, it's like we saw in soccer that got like yeah. a lot of young, right? A lot of young, it feels like very physically capable human beings have had some heart stuff seemingly pop up a lot more as of late than it had in the past. I'm not diving into what the internet could potentially say about that whole thing, but I do believe we should potentially all start looking into ourselves a little bit earlier than maybe we thought we should start doing things because I think even like colon cancer, which is something like you're not even supposed to check until you're like 40, 50 mm -hmm. years old. It's like, I think that should be checked a little bit earlier these days. Yep. Heart, I think we should do that. So tell Zach, please, that because he is awesome, and because he's about to beat some ass here, the messaging, hopefully out of his, through his name and his situation, is that more people will get themselves checked out. Yeah. Because he's, yeah. hey, he's a dog. Zach, healthy. Mm -hmm. Dog. 
Great hair. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Handsome son of a bitch. Oh, yeah. Strat, of course. Handsome, handsome guy. Funny guy, good personality, good energy, good juice. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Good juice. So that does seemingly come out of nowhere, and we're all... Sending our love yeah. to that big yeah. ass fucking house you're in right now, Herbie. Yeah, well, <laughs> honestly, man, you, you guys know you live in the internet world, and, and and it's easy to when you're me, and it's easy to kind of get caught up in. Seems like everything is divisive, everything is negative. You guys do such a good job of celebrating. That's what's so unique about your show is you celebrate the sport, you celebrate the players, you celebrate the moments. But there are a lot of people around the world that don't, you know, and it's easy to get caught up in like how cynical the world is and how negative the world is. And something like this happens. And I, I mean, I can't even tell you uh, how many people have reached out and it's impossible to reach out to everybody uh, back uh, to them. But, yeah, I've been, just been overwhelmed with how, how many people we've heard from. I mean, you can't even imagine um, the amount of people that have reached out and, and are concerned about him. So, yeah, to, to everybody that has reached out, we, we really appreciate that and, and feel that wholeheartedly. Hell yeah. And Zach, you're going to be okay. Hey, you're going to have to work now. Hey, you're going to have to work. These walks down the street are going to become walks different places. Mm -hmm. You're going to be all right, Zach. We yeah, appreciate yeah, you, buddy. We appreciate the hell out of you. Go ahead, AJ. Kirk, I guess maybe one of the, the byproducts of having him home, you can probably sit back and watch our Cincinnati Reds just absolutely dominate and take the whole league down, right? That has to be a great feeling, especially guys like me and you that have been lifetime, lifetime fans of the Red Lake. Yeah, yeah, man. I, You guys know how I am about the Reds. Yeah, I'm you. A guy that we we know how you yeah. are. You, yeah, you. AJ just tried to, you know. I'm going to stop it there because now they're just talking about the Cincinnati Reds and they're back to sports. I thought that last audio clip was disgusting. I thought it was disgusting. It has to be cognitive dissonance. It has to be. People on the internet are divisive, he said. I know how people on the internet will be. They're cynical. They're whatever. But I've gotten a lot of love from a lot of people, and he compliments Pat McAfee and says, that's what you guys are great about. That's why your show's so great, because you celebrate the sport. How about, how about, instead, you recognize that the people blowing smoke up your ass aren't your friends, that the people trying to tell you that this is shot-induced, that he has myocarditis and he won't live very long, are really your friends. Those are the people trying to tell you that you need to stop paying attention to your precious sports games and ball games. This is having a direct impact on the illusion of bread and circus and the people who have been in the bread and circus game and profession their whole lives um, can't, can't see through the fog. They can't see it. They don't want to recognize it. They'd rather celebrate the fact that his son is, uh, is whatever, a tough guy on a football team and he's going to beat this. He's not going to beat anything. There's no fight. It's like when people say, <laughs> I'll tell you what, it's like when people say, you know, you've got cancer and, and you're going to fight it and you're going to beat it. It's not, a, it's not a battle. There's no battle. You're either taking the right things to eliminate it or you aren't. You're either doing the research on what cancer is or you aren't. You're either blindly believing the medical industry that kills more people than anyone else in the world or you're not trusting them, and you're examining what the cause is and what the solution may or may not be. But the people, again, 
sending the well wishes, that's fine. But they'd better be saying, this is shot-induced, man. Don't, don't inject him with anything else ever again. Same for you, by the way, Kirk Herbstreet, because, well, you've had blood clots taken out of your body also. And look at Deion Sanders. That's your future. So what now? Should we, should we go back to watching Cincinnati Reds games and A.J. Hawk's dynamite drop-in by saying, hey, your son's dying in your, in your home now, but at least now that he's home, you get to sit around with him and watch Cincinnati Reds games. It's so tasteless. It's beyond tasteless. And I know somebody would say, well, look, you know, they're trying to bring the conversation back to sports and, and what sports are like and blah, blah, blah. Look, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. The game of baseball is a Masonic game. It was created by Freemasons. Look at the field. The field, the diamond, is a compass and square. Did you know that? Did you know that if you look at a bird's eye view of a, of a baseball diamond, it's the Freemasonic compass and square? It's designed to distract people. It doesn't matter. Watching multimillionaires run around in a circle is as useless as watching paint dry. And in fact, I would say watching paint dry is, is probably more useful, if, in particular if you're painting. But at the exact same time, it's, it's, it, it, all of this is, a, is just a giant distraction. And my point is, is that the cognitive dissonance here is kicking in at a level that is making them look beyond foolish. I think it's sad. This isn't going to get better. This is only going to get worse. And once they start dropping, then what? Then what? Once one of these individuals who is well known for being jabbed and injured from the jabs dies, then what? Are they going to admit it then? Probably not. They probably won't. You heard Pat McAfee even again. He referenced the internet and there's a lot of things going on. You know, it's real interesting that all of a sudden this is just now happening, in particular with younger soccer players and teenage soccer players. And then he compares it to colon cancer screenings. And that because they're young now, they should be getting their hearts checked because, well, it could be undetected in something that will impact them later in life because we don't think of heart illness among teenagers or people in their early 20s or early 30s. It's shot-induced, period. There's no other way around it. And shame on anybody not telling Kurt that, and shame on anybody not bringing it up. And then shame on them for, for, for not mentioning it themselves. The dots are so close, ladies and gentlemen, they're on top of each other. Three peer-reviewed articles. Here we go. Ready? Hot off the presses. Well, kind of. This is from April of uh, April eighteenth. Um, intracranial. Here we go. I think I read this a long time ago. This is a school teacher, believe it or not, and they are no longer alive. A school teacher um, in Turkey. In fact, I did read this, if if memory serves. But I'm just going to read the title anyway. Intracranial hemorrhage. After Pfizer BioNTech BNT162B2 mRNA COVID-19 vaccine, a case report. 56-year-old female patient with underlying essential hypertension who experienced intracranial hemorrhage after receiving her first dose of toanzermin, something like that. 
It says the patient underwent immediate surgical evacuation of a hematoma during which a left middle, middle rather cerebral artery bifraction aneurysm was microscopically identified and clipped. The patient was pronounced deceased on the second post-operative day, it says. This is the second case of intracranial hemorrhage following the administration caused by a ruptured middle cerebral artery bifraction, if I'm saying that right, aneurysm. Uh, Upon analyzing the case, there might be a connection between the vaccine's potential immune-triggering effect on the hemodynamic patterns and the rupture of the previous unknown cerebral aneurysm. However, these severe complications do not justify avoiding vaccines. Of course not. Further studies are needed, it says. This study emphasizes the need for increased vigilance in patients with underlying systemic comorbidities who have recently been vaccinated and to share insights into the potential relationship between Tozanamarin, if I'm saying that right, probably not, and intracranial hemorrhage. They took the COVID jabs and they died. Period. That's it. Brain bleeding, uh, hematoma, swelling in the brain, and then they're done. That's it. Here's another one. This was from this month, just last week. The Korean Academy of Medical Sciences, published in the Journal of Korean Medicine Science, title. New onset fulfillment type 1 diabetes following SARS-CoV-2 protein subunit vaccine, a case report and literature review. Here's the abstract. And I got to hand it to the uh, Journal of Korean Medical Sciences. They take the abstract in words, of course, and they create a graphical abstract that simply describes the entire thing in a series of pictures. Pretty, uh, Pretty neat. Anyway, it's not neat for this person. It says, quote, The ravages of severe acute respiratory syndrome coronavirus 2, SARS-CoV-2, worldwide have sped up the development of relevant vaccines, which is accompanied by public concerns over possible adverse effects, you think? We report a rare case of a 39-year-old woman who suffered from severe hyperglycemia and ketoacidosis with normal hemoglobin A1C four days after the SARS-CoV-2 protein subunit vaccine, which is consistent with the diagnosis of fulfillment type 1 diabetes, FT1D. She received insulin therapy and recovered after 24 days from onset of the symptoms. This is the first case of new onset FT1D after SARS-CoV-2 protein subunit vaccination, and only one I'm sorry, one of only six that developed after any form of SARS-CoV-2 vaccination. We hope to raise awareness of the potential adverse consequences and recommended careful monitoring after vaccination in patients, even without a medical history of diabetes. Unquote. Honest to God. Why even take the vaccines then? Why even take any vaccines? If you're healthy and then you inject yourself with things that you think are going to somehow prevent something, and now all of a sudden you have to be monitored as if something terrible can happen to you, ladies and gentlemen, that means that the thing you're injecting yourself with is the thing that's going to make something terrible happen to you. It can't get clearer. Here's another one. 
uh, Sage Publications, Sage Journals, in the Open Medical Case Reports. This too, if memory served, yep, this month. Uh, let's see. June 14th, it was published. Title, IgA Pemphigus Following the COVID-19 Vaccination, a Case Report. And I had to look that up. Pemphigus is the mucosal membrane rupture that is often fatal and leads to blisters on the skin and the mucous membranes. If memory serves, this is the very severe one where, again, your entire skin bubbles and can consume your entire body. Uh, I taught this one, believe it or not, when I was a school teacher, and there are very graphic videos that exist of individuals who are COVID jabbed who have this. This particular individual has a more mild case of it uh, located on their back, based on the pictures here, lower back and uh, what looks like the, the inside of their left calf. But uh, here's the yeah here's the abstract. A patient presented with a puritic lesions with puritic lesions on the back leg after the COVID nineteen vaccination biopsy and direct immunofluorescence were consistent with IgA pemingus, likely caused by the COVID nineteen vaccine. It says, and that's it. Again, it's a quick case report. It says, in summary, we want to present this case developed in the patient after receiving the COVID-19 vaccine. Physicians should be aware about the growing number of adverse reactions that may occur following the COVID-19 vaccination in susceptible patients. Given that IgA pemingus is rare and may require aggressive immunosuppressive therapy, in select patients, it's reassuring that this vaccine-induced case responded well to conservative management. The mild nature of our patient's reaction to the vaccine shows that the risk-benefit equation of immunization toward future variants of COVID-19 should be considered together with patients. Preventative measures such as prophylactic antihistamines prior to vaccination may warrant future investigation in future research, and patients should also be advised to report, to report any post-vaccination cutaneous development uh, as early as possible in order to initiate the most conservative treatment, unquote. Yes, that's right. Keep getting the jabs, they say. Be aware that this could happen, but don't let that uh, discourage you from receiving more jabs. I'm telling you what, the people that write these articles in their, in their summaries and conclusions disgust me. They really do. I'm going to end with this. You may recall last week that I mentioned that the Office of the Director of National Intelligence was allegedly going to release their report on the potential links between the Wuhan Institute of Virology and the origin of the COVID-19 pandemic. Well, they've done that. And just like I said, it would be filled with half-truths, lies, and a bunch of other things that are ridiculous. Someone summarized this giant document, which, by the way, um, well, it's not a giant document. It's 10 pages long. But they summarized it with some of these quotes, and I want to read them. It says in the document the following, The National Intelligence Council and four other IC agencies assess that this initial human infection with SARS-CoV-2 most likely was caused by natural exposure, 
to an infected animal that carried SARS-CoV-2 or a close progenitor, a virus that probably would be more than 99% similar to SARS-CoV-2. Now, here's why that's wrong. There's no such thing as SARS-CoV-2. It doesn't exist. It's that simple. It's never been isolated. We know this. Endless lawsuits have proved this. People cannot produce SARS-CoV-2 in its original form. Why? Because it's a poison that's manufactured in a lab. They didn't bump up against an animal. The animal didn't bite them, and then they got SARS-CoV-2. It doesn't work that way. This was manufactured in a lab in a petri in a petri dish, sucked up in a syringe, and disseminated the same way that HIV. I'm using finger quotes because that doesn't exist. HIV was disseminated among the Black, Hispanic, and gay populations back in the late 70s and 80s through the hepatitis B shot. Only this was disseminated the exact same way through the 2019 flu shot. That's why they call it SARS-CoV-2, or rather COVID-19. Now, yes, the 1-9 stands for artificial intelligence, and the COVID is certification of vaccination identification. We know this, but they're not going to say it. Why? Because it's government. If you're looking for government to tell you the truth, you're going to be disappointed every single time. The next summary says, the Department of Energy and the Federal Bureau of Investigation, oh, there you go, assess that a laboratory-associated incident was the most likely cause of the first human infection with SARS-CoV-2, although for different reasons. No. Nope. This isn't a person who bumped into a petri, uh, into a petri dish accidentally in a lab and was like, whoops, now I'm sick. Let me go get around, you know, get on an airplane and get around a bunch of other people, and then, you know, they'll get sick too, accidentally or intentionally. That's not what this is. The next one says the Central Intelligence Agency. Well, there you go. Because remember, we can trust the FBI and the CIA, we can trust these people. It says, and another agency remain unable to determine the, the precise origin. Of, COVID, of the COVID-19 pandemic as both hypotheses rely on significant assumptions or face challenges with conflicting reports. This came from Fort Detrick in North Carolina. We know this. It was moved over to Wuhan, probably moved over to China, Ukraine, because we all miss the way that Donald Trump says China. That's because that's what he was referring to, was the bioweapons labs in China, Ukraine. And that's how this was created. This was making the rounds, bouncing around, being synthesized, and then being reproduced at a grand scale across the world. The United States, China, Ukraine. The final summary says almost all IC agencies assess that SARS-CoV-2 was not genetically engineered. Bullshit. It says most agencies assess that SARS-CoV-2 was not laboratory adapted. Some are unable to make a determination. All IC agencies assess that SARS-CoV-2 was not developed as a biological weapon. Bullshit. 
That's exactly what it was. So, ladies and gentlemen, declassified by the Director of National Intelligence on June of 2023 would lead you to believe that all of this was a giant accident. Do you still trust government? Do you, tr- do you trust any of these institutions? Don't look to government to tell you the truth, because government will never tell you the truth. They just won't. Ladies and gentlemen, I will catch you on Wednesday. Check the description below for my Substack article and for the Defiant documentary, which is only, again, approximately 27 minutes long. I highly recommend it. With that said, I'll catch you on Wednesday. Thank you for listening to American Education FM. Make sure and check out AmericanEducationFM.com for more information. Take care and God bless.